I'm Ethan, I love muzzleloading. Today, I've got a couple clips for you from my conversation on the 11 Bang Bang Show. A couple weeks ago, I was kindly invited on by Ethan and Garrett Woods there at the 11 Bang Bang channel to come on and talk a little bit about my experience with muzzleloading and, uh, and answer some of the muzzleloading questions that are out there. So um, I'm excited to bring that to you here this week here on I Love Muzzleloading. Well, I appreciate uh, you having me on, Ethan. It's, it's uh, you know, it's really, energizing for me that you even considered having me on and i've been watching your guys's channel for a long time you know it's always it's always fun to to meet with and, and connect with people i mean even in person is always best i mean i'd love it if we we're out on your range shooting right now but you know we'll have to we'll yeah. have to take those baby steps <laughs> you know this is and a great the great first step oh yeah and i think we were actually planning on doing it uh last new year's but i think we're planning on going up to friendship at some point oh fantastic yeah, to go do the shoot up there. It'll probably be next New Year's shoot, maybe. I don't okay, know. We'll have cool. to see how it all turns out. Yeah. Well, we let me know if you do, up. and I'll, I'll camp out a couple of days there, and we can hang out and have some fun. Oh, yeah. Well, Garrett wants to know if there's a woods runner in your future projects. You know, there, might, so. <laughs> there, there might be. I, I, I haven't put in an order for that one. I need uh, kind of an early smooth bore that the woods runner would kind of fit or the, or the colonial would fit. Uh, and I just haven't made up my mind yet. I'd like to get my hands on, um, you know, an, a, just an early smooth bore. So whether that's a, a Kibler or something else that I find down the road, uh, I know that the Kibler would be a lot of fun. It's just, you know, kind of looking at a couple things that are a little bit weirder, I guess I'd say in the, in the short term, yeah. you know, sometimes you see something at a show, you know, the kind of show seasons lighten up here right now for at least in, in Indiana, kind of the area yep. that I'm in here. Um, so I don't really want to put the cart before the horse. I, I know that if I put an order in for a Kibler, then the next show I go <laughs> to, there's going to be something I need. <laughs> so I'm trying well, to balance that out. Yeah. I actually uh, pre-ordered a woods runner right after you released your video on it. So that was the date was July 5th and I ordered a 45 caliber uh, walnut stock gun because I like I like the walnut stocks. It's hard to go wrong with walnut, again. man. Yeah. And even though I know that technically historically you generally find walnut more on European guns and maple more on American guns, I like walnut. No, you get you but, see plenty of uh, plenty of walnut guns here. I had waited my 6 months and I finally called them Evidently, they are having a terrible time trying to get 45 caliber barrels. I, they actually worked with me, and I had asked them, I was like, well, can I change the caliber? I was like, that's not too much. And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. They're like, matter of fact, I would suggest you go with 50 caliber because we can get that out real quick. Right. Yeah. It's It's been interesting. The, the muzzleloading industry has been kind of racked. I mean... You know, if you if you don't make your own powder, powder and caps have been really difficult um, to get a hold of. But we're seeing, uh, I think, more so in the last year, and I think it's going to be continuing issues with even just back to raw materials, metal for the barrels. Everybody I talk to is having difficulty sourcing the kinds of steel that you need for a muzzleloading barrel. I mean, it's not just muzzleloading barrels. I mean, my day job, we handle a lot of different kinds of metals and it gets really difficult sometimes to find stuff and you're, you're paying a little bit more than you might want to. Um, and yep. even back into the kind of the foundries and the casting side of things. So I'm really hoping that gets straightened out and we start to see that kind of level out, but it's been really kind of wild to watch it affect something like muscle loading. You know, you don't really, yeah. you don't see that on the news, so you don't really ever think about it getting affected by it, but it does. It's, it's been crazy. Yeah. And what's bad is even, uh, I spent a long time talking with, uh, 
owner of Military Heritage, Robert, the other day. He'd yeah. been we'd been talking back and forth on the phone, and he was even telling me he's like, I feel bad because he raised the prices on his uh, guns. I think fifty bucks from uh, whatever they were. He's like, yeah, I kind of feel bad about that, but he same thing. He said our suppliers are yeah. having a terrible time getting steel. So it's like they raise the price, so I have to raise the price, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how it goes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but we're just kind of stuck right now. Anybody's asking any questions in the comment section? I hope I'm not boring uh, everybody. I don't, I don't know if oh, anybody's <laughs> watching. I hope they no. Don't everybody turned away. was pretty. Ex- everybody was pretty excited about this live chat. Okay, well, everything black powder. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about him at a show a couple weekends ago. <laughs> I got to step up my game. Man, that yeah. that that uh, Annie Oakley shot with the car review mirror, man. I got to get on a level. <laughs> yeah, SNS channel says I've seen caps sold for fifty cents a ten on number elevens on Canadian buy sell sites. Yeah, man. Uh, Garrett, I think he's got quite a few caps stocked up. <laughs> you have to. I mean, unless it, like unless you're like yeah. uh, everything black powder out there, you know. I mean, I get I totally understand the guys making that stuff you know I, I always recommend everybody do it safely you know but if you're not yeah. in that i'm very fortunate that i've been able to you know buy a few here and there over the years um, but a lot of people aren't in that situation how was it being on the townsend's uh on a townsend's video <laughs> oh man that was incredible those guys are are some of the best really i mean just wholesome just just as you'd, you'd expect, you know, just the, the way that they are yeah. in the videos. I mean, I, I kind of consider that to be a pretty high compliment. The, the way that they are is the way that they are. Um, yeah. When I when I pulled up there onto the homestead, I mean, they were just they, at the time they were working on the smokehouse. And yeah. it was just it was like walking into a Townsend's video, man. It was just cool. I mean, just real nice guys. <laughs> You know, and, and we'd been talking some, and it was just kind of a, you know, the the days lined up. I think I had a day off of work for something or other, um, mm-hmm. and it and it worked out. But it was just it was just super neat to see how they run their production and and how much they care about things, even behind the scenes. I mean, just walking around the homestead, it was just cool. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. I don't know that it's the kind of thing that they'd ever open up to the public, but it was just kind of neat to just be there. You know. Yeah. I think I'd seen that John had said, because a lot of people had asked him if they'd open it up to the public, and he was like, eh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I you know, I understand that. It's his private property, but uh, no, I Townsend's think are kind of... They could have, like, a Townsend experience somewhere, you know, that oh, would be yeah. like the next Disney World, <laughs> you know? It, yeah. Like, for people like us, yeah, that would be. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the only... I first discovered Townsend's actually whenever I was in Syria on okay. deployment. I went to, because uh, we didn't really have internet where we were at, so we would go on patrols into Jordan. We'd stay there for a few hours, and, oh, I got internet, pull out my cell phone, start scrolling through YouTube videos, and there's this guy trying to build a dugout canoe. Yeah. <laughs> and he, you could just tell that he was getting a little bit frustrated, but he wasn't showing it. Right. Really good at hiding it. I was like, you know what? I kind of like this guy. And then later on, it yeah all towns and stuff here (laughs) yeah oh yeah no they're just i mean just great i mean it's just yeah what what they've been able to do in in exposing the public to uh, the 18th century is just incredible and Mm -hmm. um you know like i said just wonderful guys that they got even the the camera guys uh, kind of their behind the scenes people just 
really down to earth, really wholesome people, you know, everything that you yeah. expect. <laughs> and, the, and the homestead's really cool. They got a lot of neat stuff on, on the way, I think, that people really enjoy. What is your favorite flintlock you own? Oof. <laughs> That's a tough one, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really love that Kibler. That Kibler is just... Yeah. I don't know if it was just a time in my life that I, I got a hold of that and, and really just started to enjoy that or, or the process of it. I mean, I was able to put it together um, in my father's shop, hanging out with him, you know, so there's some great memories there of doing that. Um, and it was really kind of, you know, I have access to kind of my family's, you know, collection in quotes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of stuff that's, you know, a few generations now of muzzleloaders, which is really nice. But I think, that Kibler really stands out because it's, it's really mine. <laughs> you know, it's, yep. it's not, it's not a borrowed, it's something I saved up for, uh, something I put together and kind of started the the memories with. So I think for me, that one's really special. Uh, as far as other stuff, there's a few, um, um, like match flintlock pistols that my father and grandfather made over the years. And, and those are all really yeah. special to me because those are just kind of a, an era of family history, history that I've always looked up to. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my dad shot and my, and my mother shot a lot of competition too, um, before they had me. And then, and then when I was very young. And so to mm-hmm. me, that's always an era I've looked back to. Um, and then, you know, I, I've got that Charleville. I, I picked that up from a dear friend uh, before he passed. So that one's really close, really close to the oh, heart for me. Language now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I like I'll admit, I'm more on the civilian side of things where, where my interest mm-hmm. really lies in, in understanding and, and kind of studying the, the demographics and locations of the civilian Smiths, mm-hmm. uh, the military history side of things I enjoy, but I, I'm the first to admit that I'm not a scholar on the military history. <laughs> I, I'll kind of know a little bit, you know, enough to get me by. But as far as like, the, you know, between an 1863 or a 65 or, you know, uh, that's yeah. too many, too many numbers for me. <laughs> I never did well, well with that. My way of doing it was, is I like the military guns. I just am not, well, I mean, I'm getting better onto it now, but, uh, I just like to pretend like I'm in a militia. Yeah. Well, I get <laughs> who that. just got really good regulation weapons. <laughs> but, uh, there's mine. This yep. is one of them Indian made guns, but yep. this is, I think I've mentioned before, this is my favorite gun I own. It's a, if you couldn't know, I've actually I, I'm getting ready to work on it. I this is the one I was talking about. I got a hammer or a frizzin from a yeah. rifle shop, and I've actually worn through the case hardening on this frizzin. <laughs> on I one. fired it so much. That's great, but, man. I love this gun. This is this is my favorite. <laughs> I think everybody's quest in their life with their with their muzzleloaders <laughs> should be to wear out the barrels and wear out the locks in an appropriate yep. manner. Don't go out and yep. just destroy them for the sake of destroying them, but there are pieces that when I am dying, I want to know I replaced the barrel on or I replaced parts of the lock on because I just shot it so much. That's the end goal, yeah. you know, for these this stuff. Yep. I'm gonna and I'm gonna kept... make sure it's in good condition to hand off to the next generation, but I'm going to have shot the the crap out of it. Yep. And I kept a rough track of how many rounds I got through that gun before the frizzin went out, and I came out at about twenty six hundred rounds. Whew. That's still yeah. good, you know, for a part, you know, <laughs> That's in, a, in an original service. Yeah, that would have been expected to go through quite a bit before being replaced. So that's impressive. Yeah. And 
like I said, I got the rifle shop uh, frizzing. Yep. And I'm going to probably do a video on getting that ready to go in there, but it should fit right in there. Uh, it looks to me like it will anyways. Um, well, that'd be a great video, too, on, on updating or, or changing out parts like that. I mean, that's the kind of thing yep. that I think people maybe get a little nervous about, and that kind of education would be wonderful to share with them. Oh, yeah. The original, we were going to do like a themed live chat here. Uh, we talked about originally. Might as well just get the question out. Yeah. This is the man that... Yep, there we go. There's a man to ask about this. So, 18th century. Yep. You're out on the frontier. We'll say backwoods of Pennsylvania. Okay. Hill country. Rifle or smoothbore. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been born and raised on a rifle. You know, everything, yep. I, just about everything I've ever shot is, is a rifle. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'll... I'll, I'll you know, full disclosure, not super experienced on the smoothbore stuff uh, yeah. myself. I'm, I'm continuing to learn about it and continuing to figure it out. Um, it's really hard to argue the the usefulness of a smoothbore and, mm-hmm. and its practicality. If you are, mm-hmm. are in an age like many people were where you have one gun and that's it, you know, and that's what you're using to, to feed and defend your family, and it's, you know, what you're carrying all the time, that smoothbore, you know, in a, in a thick woods is, is going to be enough. It's going to be plenty. And you're carrying that thing every day. You're going to have that thing shooting. I imagine, um, pretty close to what you're able to shoot with a rifle now. I mean, yeah, there are guys that, you know, like, (laughs) like everything black powder out there, shoot the flea (laughs) off a dog's back, you know, but I think generally with a mirror, yeah, with a mirror upside down, um, liquored up i don't know that that guy can shoot anything i mean shoot (laughs) i I really think that you you i I think it's understandable to see the the prevalence of smooth wars that we see there were rifles absolutely Mm -hmm. and there's there's still quite a few rifles and and we know you know all the legendary tales of the american long rifle and its usefulness but the practicality of a smooth bore and i think the the training and education that would have gone along with that Mm-hmm. As a mod, you know, a con- whatever era you're in, in that era, whatever, whatever kind of person you are in that era, you're going to mm-hmm. know how that thing shoots and you're going to know your limitations with that. And yeah, being able to take foul or game uh, with it, you know, another great advantage. Uh, you know, you can, yep, you can put anything in there that you need to and, and take down what you need to for the time period. Oh, yeah. Or the nice thing about a rifle is that I found, say, you got a squirrel in a tree. You're not really wanting to tear him up. I mean, yeah, you can use birdshot, but right. it's really nice to take a headshot with a rifle if you're that it, good. <laughs> and it feels real good when, you, when you're when you able oh, yeah. to do that. You know, I mean, that's I, – I don't hunt a lot. You know, uh, I hunt a lot of squirrels, and to me, that's about as fun as it gets. You know, it, it, Oh, yeah. It, you know, I'm sure everything black powder takes a squirrel every time he, he points <laughs> one, you know, or, or, or spooks one up. But, you know, for us common folk – uh, you know, when you do get a squirrel, it feels real good. It, it, that's another one of my kind of research points, because I have a lot of folks asking me, you know, uh, theoretically, uh, mm-hmm. as a lot of people put it, the, the flintlock smoothbore is the ultimate survivalist tool mm-hmm. because uh, you can make your own powder. You can always find flints or, or chert, you know, depending on where you're at. You find a creek. Mm-hmm. Generally, you're gonna, you hopefully you can find something, you know, depending on how yep. bad you need it. Arrowhead. Arrowhead, <laughs> you know, you and uh, or you can have a you know a supply of it but you know you can shoot a lot and you can you can feed yourself with that one gun and i think it's 
its prevalence in history, you know, really backs up that claim and that thing that we look at now in kind of a modern preparedness sense of that flintlock smoothbore being and being super useful because it's not going to be picky. Uh, you can, uh, you know, get a patched round ball. You can get an accurate load set up for that, and and reserve those supplies for those situations where you need that hundred yard shot if you absolutely yep. need it. But for everything else, it's gonna eat what you feed it. <laughs> you know, yep. it's not gonna yep. matter what kind of powder you've got. Really, if you've got powder, it's gonna burn. It's gonna shoot, and you're gonna be fine. This year, at least on a lot of the range stuff, is gonna be kind of a Oh, it's just glitching out there, isn't it? It's really oh, cool. wow. This is a, a Petersoli Percussion LePage, LePage mm-hmm. um, pistol. So I've been kind of joking that this year is kind of the year of the pistol um, for me. I've got, I think, just a, just a, I've got quite a few eras of muzzleloading yeah. pistols ready to go here for the range this year. So I'm excited to get some of this stuff out. Last year was a lot on the long arms and just kind of getting the range mm-hmm. set up and, and getting that figured out, but... I'm thinking uh, this is kind of kind of be the year of the pistol a little bit. Get out some of the fun stuff, you know, some of the, the flintlock and percussion stuff. But um, and I've got a couple of revolvers, different eras of revolvers. That's something I yeah. again don't know a lot about, uh, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> kind of um, getting educated. That's you know part of the fun about <laughs> getting stuff and putting it out online is you kind of learn a lot uh, and you oh, learn yeah. about how much you don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. Real quick, I I, I I do that quite often. Uh, there's actually a flintlock pistol that is we've got. That's an original. Okay. And it's the oldest. I almost guarantee you that's the oldest gun here in the county that we have. It is an original made in 1717 Queen Anne's. Ooh. Let's see. We're getting a lot of conversation about uh, Swiss caviar resupply of it coming. So I don't know about Swiss caviar there, Mountain Man. And then Soylent Green says, is there really an advantage to whiskey? We got a whole side conversation going on over here about caviar. I Man, think I'm I not, missed the intro to it. I'm not high class <laughs> enough to even know anything about caviar. I eat chicken I, eggs, I, and that's about it. Swiss powder, Garrett says, okay. Oh, Swiss powder. That makes a little more sense. Okay. <laughs> Swiss caviar. Okay. okay. Now I get now it. Now I'm, I'm getting the association. Okay. You gotta right, you gotta so, spell it out for me, guys. I'm a little slow. Swiss caviar, as in Swiss powders, resupply of it coming. It Have should you heard anything? It should be close if it's not here already. I mean, uh, back then in January, they were saying that they had they had stuff incoming quite a bit. So, mm-hmm. um, I just keep an eye on on the different shops and things that are online and your local shops if you have it locally. Um, I imagine they will be uh, really making everybody aware of when that comes in i know the 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 folks down in texas that import it um it's imported under shoots and energetics here in the united states they distribute both um i know that over the past year it's been slow to get into the country and and cleared through customs Uh, at least one time last year it actually came through a port in canada um, which really slowed it getting to and, and out to distributors but once it got into the united states i think it was only two or three days and it was to every distributor um so it's the kind of thing i'm keeping an eye on i i know people at at the different companies and 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 at shoots and energetics down there in texas but i try not to badger them too much um, because i know they get a lot of calls and things so i try to um you know kind of respect that a little bit um but we should i'd like to think that we'd see it at least by april at the latest because you're going to start seeing the big national events kick up here um, in late spring and early summer. So 
it will I know it will be here uh, you know by June uh, to meet those deadlines but I, I would expect to see it if it's not gonna be there soon it should be there early April at the very latest I'd expect and that's just that's just me spitballing um, you know just based on some of the trends of last year so I'm willing to eat my hat on that if it doesn't come in <laughs> for sure uh, I'll answer this one for you, Steve, and I'm sure oh, okay. uh, Ethan over here, he can answer this one too. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy Said, to contribute I, to that. I still don't know if it's any good reason I want to test it. Well, I'll tell you this. Swiss is good. It's real good. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. You can, I put, so with our homemade powder, like I load up for the Charlottesville, and it's very close to 18th century powder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I load to the original specs for the French loading, which is right, those actually loads. about 156 grains. Yeah. I put 85 grains of Swiss in that gun, and it it kicks me harder than that 150 grains of the 18th century powder. So it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say the same. I mean, I shoot everything indiscriminately, you know, as far as mm-hmm. powder goes. You know, I, I'm very fortunate to have uh, distributors close and access to um, just about every powder. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you go to any of the major competitions where the guys are, are really shooting and, and a lot of times shooting for money and shooting for metal and things, most of your top shooters across the country are going to be shooting Swiss in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And that goes, you know, uh, muzzleloading, that's going to be the case for a lot of folks. And um, in black powder cartridge, Swiss is pretty dominant when it comes to mm-hmm. the, the guys shooting, you know, across the country competitions there in the big matches. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's, it's the most expensive powder. I think, um, when you're, when you're looking at the produced, the mass produced and distributed powders. Um, but there's a lot of records and a lot of shooters that have set records using it. That's not to say that you can't do it with shoots in or, or with go X, but, um, predominantly the, the top shooters are going to tell you, you got to be shooting Swiss. And we actually like when we do our proofing because Swiss is, or yeah, Swiss is so much hotter, it seems like. I mean, I don't know if it's that much hotter, but it feels like when you shoot, like when we, I'm going to have to go proof this gun. Right. Uh, when I go to do that, because they don't drill the touch holes in these, because it's a uh, non-firing replica because of the gun laws in India. Right. Uh, but when I drill the touch hole for this gun, we're going to proof it, and we'll most likely be using Swiss just because if it's going to run with a really heavy charge of Swiss, it'll run with anything we can make. Yeah, um, in I, and I think everybody's testing that you see online, um, Swiss is pretty unanimously the, the hottest or the fastest yeah. when it's set up on a chronograph or anything. Um, I, I enjoy using it, especially when uh, I'm you know in some of the bullet testing when it comes to black powder stuff, because I know that it's not everybody's going to be hunting with Swiss. I mean, for a lot of guys, mm-hmm. it's a little overkill, but that heat and that speed is kind of as much as you're going to get out of 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 black powder at least in the in the produced stuff in a can that's distributed oh mike bellevue speaking of mike bellevue hey yeah have you heard about the uh, oh my the gosh issue he's having yes absolutely <laughs> absurd yeah i don't that's I, i'm hoping that he kind of comes back with a little bit of how we can help because that's just yeah I, I keep a pretty cool head, but but I just that kind of stuff just makes my blood boil. There, with he's he's finding his like local zoning commission. They've decided that he can't um, can't shoot on a property he owns if he doesn't have a house on it. 
and so, the house has to have plumbing and electricity. Right, which is, <laughs> yeah, you can't just put like a you know one of those shed homes or a tiny home there. It has to be fully equipped. I mean, it's just just absurd. It, it's the kind of stuff you keep seeing in states like Pennsylvania that just is really frustrating, you know, to see that change. I mean, thankfully Indiana's you know is Indiana, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know it works pretty well in, into folks like ours' favor. But man, it's just. It seems like he continues to just catch it, and I just I don't know why. Oh, yeah. He's such a nice guy, um, you know, so helpful to anybody that asks a lot of questions and things, and such a, a great resource. It's just like mm-hmm. he's always at odds with things. I just or things are at odds with him. Really, it's not anything that he's done. It's just what, what really gets me is it. It's like black powder stuff. It's not yeah. even. It's I mean, he could go out there with some modern stuff and just crack. Crack, crack, yep. crack. I mean, just so his neighbor's ears would hurt. But yeah. it, it's black powder stuff. I mean, yep. it's not even loud, guys. You know, if you're <laughs> if you're a neighbor and you and you hear some black powder stuff, it's like, is that is that a tractor backfiring or is that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And then you don't hear another one for another five minutes or so. It's not yeah. like it's rapid. It's fire. kind of a phantom. <laughs> you know, if there's any distance between you, all right, just. Oh yeah. I'm hoping he does something to help out at least with some of the legal fees that, so that people can help out in, in their capacity, you know, because it's just, I just hate to see that happen to him. I mean, he's really just been, he's contributed so much to the black powder community. Yeah. He really has. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I would have not have known about that, uh, loading the ball down on the powder, uh, without a wad in between ball, powder, you know, or patch. Right. Yeah. Making it more accurate for smooth. I wouldn't have known about that if it wasn't for duelist. Some of that stuff you just wouldn't think to try. You want to answer that? Talking about is it a hard task? I mean, I don't know I, if you can see it or not. Yeah, I can see it there. Yeah, I, I think that's okay. a really great feature too. That's really su- super cool. Uh, yeah. I think I, I think with Petter Soli, I don't I don't think you'd have too much trouble. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you know I I look at things really simply, uh, and even when it comes to making things, um, you know, so kind of get a getting a simple understanding of of what hardening and tempering is. Um, you know, I think generally the, the magnet test, uh, works pretty well. You know, if, if it's something that attracts a magnet, you heat it up until it drops the magnet and then you're, you're pretty well hardened is kind of the simple way to do it. You know, if you have a really limited shop, you know, you're just in your garage with, you know, a propane torch or something, that's a way to get it done, uh, without any of the furnaces or temperature gauges or anything. Um, you know, that's how I would go about it. If I you know needed to reharden a frizzen and it still had some life in it. Or I thought I did. Um, I mean, you can always uh, Petter Soli. There's enough of them out there that you should be able to find an aftermarket frizzin too. That might just be a good thing to pick up, uh, mm-hmm. so that you have a backup spare kind of thing. But I think that's the kind of thing you can do, uh, you know, on a weekend or something in an afternoon and, and crack out and, and be back on the range. What do you, What do you think though? I mean, like I said, I'm I'm really open to to learning more and, and eating my hat on something if I'm if I'm spouting the wrong thing <laughs> oh no you're you're good i'm i'm sitting here because the reason i say you're probably going to hear about that is because yeah. old char here i mentioned man i've i've worn through this thing shot it so much i think uh, too uh, to to jump back to your question here chris um you know the lock geometry at times on, on some of the the imported guns that might it might be a geometry issue over um over the frizzin so um, if you end up sharpening or, or not sharpening, sorry, hardening your frizzin and it's still not working, um, you might set up your phone or something and try to record your lock falling uh, and, and see how it's hitting. 
Um, there's a bunch of, I mean, lock diagnosing is its whole, its own thing. I don't claim to know a whole lot about it, but there, there are various symptoms that can cause a lock, especially on, uh, you know, not to discredit them or, or, you know, speak ill of them at all, but on some of the, the cheaper locks that are out there, you can have issues with that geometry not lining up just because of variances in production. Um, so it might be the kind of thing that, uh, you know, you need to adjust your flint, you know, bevel up or bevel down is, is the first thing to do. Uh, make sure that your flint is really tight in those jaws, which you may have already done. I don't mean to, you know, repeat stuff that you might already know, but even down to heating up and adjusting, um, you know, the cock of your frizzin or the cock of your lock. Sorry, it's getting late for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> a adjusting that a little bit up or down can help a lot on where that's hitting the frizzin and even down to like, your, your frizzin spring being too tough or too weak. Um, there, there are times where that flint falling and hitting that can, if, you're, if your spring is too strong, the, the fall can't push it back hard enough to get a spark going, or it can be too weak. And instead of you know really launching open like it should and letting that spark drop, those frizzins sometimes will come forward and then come back and your, your flint and your frizzin will strike multiple times on the way down, never getting a good hit. Um, you know, so if you have a modern smartphone, uh, you know, even a, even a 10 year old smartphone generally will have a slow motion video function on it and setting that up, you know, just even with the lock out of the gun and recording that in slow motion and really watching how that lock works. Um, you know, you might get some more insight uh, of what's causing your issue if rehardening the frizzin doesn't get what you need yeah and you're talking about on the cheaper locks like this paget like i said i got a lot of work to do on this gun but i'm yeah. gonna make her work really good uh you can see right now that is the that is the cock being down you can see it's almost oh, straight really? up and down as it is right now yeah so and full cock is clear back there it's way back there wow <laughs> so I've got some work to do with yeah. this gun, but I'm, I'm going to make it work. There's um, a guy by the name of Larry Pletcher, and I think uh, Steve Chapman helped him out with it. There are a couple Indiana guys, um, but in the late 90s and the early 2000s, they got access to like a super high-speed camera. They produced a series of super high-speed film, and I think you can find it online. I think blackpowdermag.com, Black Powder Magazine is what it was published under. They did a series of super, super high-speed flintlock videos um, that show you how those locks function and how different powders function um, in the pans of your flintlocks and kind of debunked a lot of the theories about different granulations of powder in the pan. Um, they were really came out with a lot of evidence that said you don't necessarily need 4F powder, which many of us know, mm -hmm. um, but really they came out with some really right in front of you, you know, hitting you over the head with a baseball bat that you, the thicker or the, the larger granulations of powder in a pan can actually be better depending on the lock that you're using. Um, and those, that was kind of one of the tests that those videos uh, put forth and, and studied. But the other thing was just how these locks function in like hundredths or thousandths of a second. It's yep. really fascinating because those locks and they, they tested a variety of locks um, but a lot of times we think it's a really simple procedure but it's oftentimes really complex and it's really interesting to see how these locks perform with that super high speed so 
I encourage anybody that's interested in that kind of thing to seek out some of that film. Like I said, um, Larry Pletcher, I think, was kind of the head of, of that project in, in Black Powder Mag, Black Powder Magazine, is where you should be able to find it. Really interesting stuff. Yeah. And that's another thing, you know, I've noticed that it really does help with the whole uh, people talk about Flint being pointed down towards the touch hole. Yeah, that and, geometry is I crucial. Think, and what's funny is, though, on this old 1728 St. Antienne lock, it doesn't quite do that. Right. But I've noticed works. that I did the slow motion thing with my uh, phone. Good. And what I found with this gun is the sparks, whenever you're striking this, actually kind of come up into here. And they bounce off of the hammer up here and then into the pan. Yep. So it works really good. But, yeah, that's just kind of how this gun rolls, I guess, is how they designed them back in the day. Yeah. That was uh, a really good question, Chris, and I hope you can yeah. get it figured out. It's, it's, it can feel like a complex and intimidating process, but you'll have a, a greater understanding of, of your muzzleloader specifically when you kind of go through that a little bit. And I think it's, it's good for everybody to go through that at least once to kind of get an understanding of it. I got a question if you got time. Ask him if he thinks Kibler is going to kill off the better silly flintlock market. No, if I don't Kibler think was... so. Yeah. I think right. I think that Pedersoli's variety is what keeps them ahead myself. As, and mm-hmm. I don't know that – I'm not in any way speaking for Kibler, but I don't know that he's at all interested in kind of the military side of things. Yeah. And that, I think, is really that's fine. <laughs> some of Pedersoli's b- bread and butter is, is the higher-end yep. production military side of things. I'm sure that there is some eating into uh, – at just in general um just because it's a kind of a quality step up i think mm-hmm. and in my own personal it opinion <laughs> that's not to discredit petersoli at all they make some nice stuff i mean this this lepage back here is just beautiful you know especially for a production oh. gun if you went back 50 years and told people that that's the kind of thing they could get production wise i think they'd be a little floored but yeah. um i i think that there is still capacity in the muzzle loading market i i and I'm not saying that because I, I talk to these people and I, and I talk to the companies and things, but there there is not enough um, production and enough interest or there it's not full, I guess, is, is how I would say. I don't, I don't think the market is full to start weeding people out. I think the people that are exiting are exiting because they have um, bigger markets that they're capitalizing on. I think an, another thing, too, to consider with Pedersoli is is the European market, um, mm-hmm. you know, there is there isn't a market for their stuff here in the United States, absolutely, and there will continue to be. But they are kind of the big dog, really, in the European market. And I think as long as there is, uh, you know, muzzleloader friendly legislation in in Europe in in the areas and the markets that they're in, I think they're going to be fine. Especially their their expansion now into, um, you know, I think I saw they have some even more modern leaning lever guns. You know, which I think is yep. is, is kind yeah. of interesting to see them at a booth, you know, offering flintlocks and, uh, you know, up into the lever gun stuff. It, it's kind of fun yeah. to see. But I think that they have enough of a market spread that they can support it, even if there's not as much demand for yeah. the flintlock stuff. But what, what do you think, oh, Garrett? Yeah. What, what's Garrett think on that? I, I'd love to hear it. I think that it'll smoke their Blue Ridge, uh, their Blue Ridge uh, Cabela's brands. If that's, if, I believe that's Petter Sully. I think, yeah, yeah. I think it yeah. will in the United yeah, States take care of the smaller caliber rifles, not the smoothbores yet. Right. I think that if Jim Kibler offers a Hawking kit, <laughs> that Petter Sully Hawkins in the United States might might take a big hit. Yeah. 
Well, I think too, uh, it's always fun to think about that. You know, we we don't just have one. You yeah. know, there, there's a lot of <laughs> folks out there that have almost every Hawken that's ever All been produced. You know, in in the mass market. Yeah, <laughs> he's one of them. The poster boy for it, you know. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great and a, a very fair point that the the introductory side of things, like the Blue Ridge, is a great consideration. Yeah, this is one that I wanted to bring up here because this is our friend Stephen Mountain Man. Yep. Uh, he has a theory. He has an idea. You know, you've heard of uh, the Ashley uh, Superhawken. Yeah, you've heard of. Uh, uh, Ian talking yep. about the what would Stoner do rifle. Yep. Stephen Mountain Man wants to do wants a what would Ashley do? Oh man, like the Ashley cool. party of Mountain Men. Yeah. Uh, you uh, know what but, I think? What, what do you think? Eighteen oh three Harper's Ferry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in the 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 recreations that have been made based on the documentation, it's very close um, yeah. to that eighteen that eighteen oh three. Um, my buddy Bob Woodfill, who who published that Hawken book has done a lot of research on that because it's the kind of thing that we we know a little bit about, but we it's also something that's a lot of open-ended questions. I, I hope that mm-hmm. we figure it out someday. Um, but, yeah, that'd be that'd be neat to see a, a muzzleloading manufacturer do that kind of move because it, it's a little out there, I think, for muzzleloading, but I think it's the kind of thing that would be really interesting and really kind of energize um, – both people that are into it now and people that are kind of tertiary interested and kind of just viewing from the sidelines, maybe that kind of move would be really interesting to see and and to see how that plays out with, with enthusiasts in the market in general. And that's the kind of thing I could see, like, uh, you know, a big player like Petter Soli, I think that they could experiment with that kind of thing too, kind of looking at the documentation and proposing what it could have, what it could look like. Um, would be really yeah. interesting to see. Yeah. Well, tell tell us about some of your projects there. You were telling me earlier about some of the things you were working on. Yeah. So right now I've got that uh, CVA Hawken I'm putting together for a, a local family here. You know, it's I'm, I'm kind of getting to my fill of of kind of the Hawken builds. I think you know if I if I can find a Thompson Center Hawken kit, I'll kind of round out the, the majority of production Hawkins that are available. <laughs> yeah. I'm not in a rush yeah. to do that, but you know because Hawken after Hawken is, you know, can get a little laborious. It feels like a little bit, but um, we've got some other things kind of in the pipe. I, I was joking with Ethan that I kind of have uh, things. I'm trying to budget for things on a kind of a year by year basis and out, you know, five or six years trying to get stuff planned out because, you know, different makers and, and different suppliers take a little time to get that stuff around. Uh, I've got a couple of buddies that are, are looking to build some, uh, I think, I would call it just more accurate muzzleloaders as far as the historic aspect goes. So there's a couple yeah. of, of colonial era smoothbores and, and different muskets from the from the different sides of, of some friends that are into the military reenacting side of things. Uh, and I've got a nice um, kind of a seconds um, chambers uh, English sporting rifle, which is kind of one of their you know, sh- little short rifles, just really cute, uh, really nice. I was joking earlier again that I like a gun that's either really long or really short, and really so short. I'm, I'm excited to get into that kit. I don't know if that's going to be – I'm hoping that's going to be kind of a next fall, next winter project. We're going to have to see how things go um, just as far as, as the work-life balance goes. You know, We're uh, you know, still working the 9-to-5s and, uh, yep. and more sometimes, so it's, uh, it's not all muzzleloading all the time, but it's, it's always fun to kind of – get that stuff going and get it planned so 
a lot of neat things, I think, at least as far as the building projects go. And then I'm, I'm kind of playing with some more of the accoutrements and things. Um, so I've got a couple of nice horns that are ready to be finished out and do some scrimshaw on. So hopefully bring some folks along for the journey if they're interested in that. But if nothing else, I'm going to have fun doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there's Garrett. Hi, Garrett. Hi, Garrett. Welcome. <laughs> How does it feel to be known as the Ian McCollum of the Black Potter world? Uh, I, I can't. I can't claim that. No. <laughs> You're gonna make me blush now. Come on. You don't. You don't want to discredit Ian that much, too. Come on. This was really just a short segment of our entire like two and a half hour long conversation. So if it's the kind of thing that you enjoyed these selected clips from, I encourage you to check out the 11 Bang Bang channel. You can find the full conversation there. It was all done live, no preparation for it, which is a lot of fun, just to kind of jump right into it and, and have some muzzle loading fun.